Good morning, everyone. My name is James. If I haven't met you, I'd really like to come say hi afterwards. And I want to just comment on all the announcements we've had today, but I'll refrain. But I do want to say I'm really honoured and thankful to come on full-time here at Campbell Street. It is an absolute treat for me to be encouraged in that way, but to be supported in that way. So I thank God first and foremost, but it is really started sounding like a, I don't know, a, an award speech. I'm really thankful. Um, it is such an honour. And and it's beautiful because I'm pleased it got mentioned today because what we're looking at today is this incredible teamwork that takes place. A handful of different people come together all with this common goal of sharing the gospel and seeing it go to nations. So I feel like that's just such a befitting example of just what takes place um, today. So I'm excited. We're going to look at Acts 18 as we've read out before by Pete. Thank you for that. And I was going to start by sharing, of course, my favourite, an illustration about space and how the teamwork that takes place in space is, just needs to be watertight in order for it to be successful. But then after the game we had last night, how can I talk about any other team but <laughs> Australia's number one? Um, the Matildas played France last night, Australia, in the FIFA World Cup. They played France and it was an incredible game. I'm still feeling a bit nervous and sick from the game that it was. It was tight. It was zero all for the full time, for the into extra time, and then the penalties decided that Australia got up. So really amazing. It was a nice, oh, yeah. I was curled up in a ball and I took a photo at one point. I was a mess. Um, but we got there, which I'm really pleased. But what I, what I love about, and I'd say that this is true for so many, what people love about sport is that people with their individual gifts have to come together. They have to work together with just a common goal, with a common sight and purpose. And it's difficult because no one player can achieve a win. It's not going to come together if it was reliant entirely on one. And we've seen teams try positioning it, working it all around their one star player, but what I loved in last night's game is that multiple people stepped up and really performed. But I read an article about what's so important in teams and what are the essential components that make a team and bring them together to work at such an optimal level. And of course, admittedly, it was in light of space and, and astronauts all working together, these intelligent, incredibly gifted people coming together. But these were the three components that stood as completely essential for an optimal functioning team. The first one was that they understand the big picture goal. They need to understand that there is a greater purpose at stake here. It's not about me, we're working together for something, a common cause, a big picture goal. The second, which interested me, was to not fear conflict. Don't fear conflict. So understand the big picture goal and don't fear conflict. It's as if it's inevitable. It's going to take place where there's teams, where there's people, there's problems, but there can be progress. But don't fear conflict was the second one. And the third one was to promote autonomy, to make sure that people in this team all feel not micromanaged, not snuffed out or overmanaged, but they felt that they had autonomy to go and exercise what they're good at and to put that together for a team. So those three stood as the most important components in Middle East for astronauts getting to Mars was the context. But I think same takes place in every sporting match, or at least definitely last night. And so what we see in Acts 18 is these three things at work. Paul and others, Silas, 
Timothy will meet them as I take you through, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. They all come together and they work together for this common goal. They face conflict, as I'll bring out and bring to your attention, but they also get sent out in this sense of autonomy. They understand the gifts and strengths, and so they send them out for the preaching of the gospel. It's beautiful. It's an amazing team, an optimal team. And so there's two things I want you to see as we walk through Acts 18. And I'd love you to have your Bible with you because I'm going to keep referencing and coming to verses all the way throughout. But there's two aspects I want you to see, and that is that God provides. I want you to see God's provision. And then I want you to see Paul's platform or Paul's preaching. God provides and Paul preaches. And initially I thought, you know what, I'll work through and we can, we can see how God provides and then we can come back and see how Paul preaches. But as I was reading it, I kept going, you can't separate them. They're so intertwined. Every time God provides, Paul then steps up, he takes the platform, he takes the opportunity and he preaches. And so I'm not going to separate them. I'm going to bring them to your attention as we go through this chapter and see just how Paul preaches and God provides or creates opportunities. But before I do that, I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you that this time is set aside each week where we can open up your word and we can see exactly what, what you want for us, but what took place in history and what that means for us today. Thank you for the start of the church. And thank you that you use multiple people to bring about this team that would then take the gospel to all nations, to the, all the ends of the earth. And thank you, God, that we're included in that too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where we left last week was an incredible sermon. Luke did a good job too. But Paul spoke in Acts 17 on this hill in Athens. And he speaks the gospel so plainly, so directly, like I'm amazed how he does that. But the responses are mixed. And that's what I appreciated with the kids' talk today, is that we're seeing some people accepted, but others didn't. The response is mixed. Some sneered, but some believed, verse 32 of chapter 17. And to be honest, that alone baffles me. How can the same message of eternal hope found in Jesus go out, and for some, it's winsome, it's convicting, and yet for others, it's not even worth engaging. It's, just, it's ridiculous. They'd sneer at it. How does that take place? Like, what message must the gospel be to have such polarizing responses? And here it lies. Paul is preaching that people must give up everything for God because God has given up everything for you. And so we're met with the most outrageous compliment that you're, you're worth dying for. And at the very same time, we're given the most challenging demand, and that is to put down everything and follow him. No wonder people sneered. And yet, no wonder people believed. So chapter 18, that's a quick recap. Chapter 18, it starts with Paul taking this message now to Corinth. Paul's provision, come with me, verse 1 of chapter 18. Paul sets out. He leaves Athens for Corinth. 
And I want to take you through a few things, actually. I always forget a few slides. Here's some space. Here's teamwork. But here's the real prize. <laughs> and now we'll come to Paul's journey. Hope you enjoyed those few slides. <laughs> Paul's journey. This is what takes place. He moves from Athens to Corinth. These are a few of the things. Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila. Paul preaches to Jews. He meets opposition. But God speaks and Paul continues. So much so that he stays for a year and a half. Then he moves from Corinth to Ephesus. Ephesus. So Paul's on tour here. He preaches to the Jews. He doesn't say for a while this time, but he puts his, hand, his plans in God's hands. Then he moves from Ephesus to Caesarea, and he greets the church in Jerusalem. So he is really moving about here, and that's all that we're told in Acts 18. And then he moves from Caesarea to Antioch, where he strengthens disciples, and he encourages Apollos to go not to Got, but to go to Archaea. And Apollos was a blessing to them. So that's a quick recap. Now we'll dive into the, into the details. Immediately when Paul comes to Corinth, he is accompanied with and by a wonderful hospitable couple called Priscilla and Aquila. And we're given this information about them. They were tent makers, just like Paul, verse 3. And Paul was staying with them. Which also tells us that Paul isn't financially relying on the Corinthian church, but he's making means for himself so as to not be a burden. And so there you have it, right? Any minister being paid by the church, they need to stop being a burden and go get a job. <laughs> That's not true, right, Simon? I'm thankful to have a full-time job. Um, but you'll see why in a minute. So Paul, he keeps working. He's staying with Priscilla and Aquila during the week, and he's preaching at synagogues on the weekend. Verse 4. God is both providing in Priscilla and Aquila, and Paul is preaching. He is this unison. Now come with me to verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So in just five verses, we've seen God's provision of a place to stay and friends to work alongside in Priscilla and Aquila. And now we're seeing God's provision of financial support in Silas and, Timoth in Silas and Timothy. So Paul can keep preaching into the week. God's provision of Silas and Timothy has opened up an, an opportunity for Paul to stay on tour to continue preaching, and not only on the weekends now, but into the week, throughout the week. And because of the Silas's and Timothy's in front of me now, Simon and I are freed up to preach and teach the gospel all week long. And so I want to thank you again, and I want to thank God. Because ultimately, it's God that's providing for us, and he's the one providing for Paul. Read with me verse 6. And here is the divide once again that the gospel message brings. Verse 6, but when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. 
And I'll come back to that. But look what happens next in verse 7 and 8. Then Paul left the synagogue and he went next door. It's not far. He's had a bit of a dispute and he's just going a door over. Next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptised. There it is. Some are so offended by the gospel that they physically attack the one who brings it, and then again, at the other hand, others are so in awe of what they've just heard that many believe. There's that divide again, isn't it? That we see the gospel message bring. The one minute things get dangerous, discouraging, God provides. He provides Paul with encouragement and assurance. And this might look like a wonderful persistence, the wonderful persistence of Paul as he tours, as he continues to travel with the gospel, but what we're seeing here is behind him is actually the wonderful provision of God. Paul knows it's not his platform or his preaching that is changing anyone, but it's actually God's provision and God's power that is changing the unbelieving heart. Paul's response to the opposition and abuse of verse 6 is he responds by saying, I'm innocent of it. In other words, Paul's not taking responsibility for how they respond. This is actually incredibly healthy. He's putting the gospel before them, And what they do with it next is between them and God. That's how he's navigating. That's how he's preaching. And true for us, our job isn't to control the outcome, Christians, church. Our role is to be faithful, to be faithful with what he has given us, to be faithful with the opportunities he gives us, to be faithful with the platform and the people that he gives us. That's our role. Let God deal with the outcomes. Let him deal with the responses. And so I want you to think for a second, who might that be for you? Who might the people in your life be that God has given you? And God's provision continues. Keep coming with me. Verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. How good is that? God provides Paul with friends in in Priscilla and Aquila, with support in Silas and Timothy, with encouragement of many people coming to faith. And now God provides Paul with a promise, a promise of his presence and his protection. And what we're seeing here is is that it's so intertwined with God's providence. So intertwined with God's providence is Paul's action, Paul's preaching, Paul's use of the platform that God has given him. And so what does he do with it? Paul stays in Corinth for a year and a half teaching the word of God. Now, you might hear this and as I read it out, you might think, sure, hey, God, if God gives me a direct word just like that, sure, I'll have the confidence of Paul. But look what Hebrews tells us. It's here up on the screen. In the past, God spoke 
to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways, but in these last days, in this time now that we live in before Jesus returns, he has spoken to us by his son. What this verse tells me is that if God never said another word, he said it all and he said enough in Jesus. If God never did another thing, he's done enough and he's done it all in Jesus. We don't, we don't need another vision or miracle or confirmation to move forward in sharing the gospel with the people in our lives. The words of our risen saviour was enough. Now as I say that, I'm not here to put parameters on God or around God. He can and he will move, act, reveal, empower in all the ways that he wills. And that can be such a blessing for us. But I want to say, I'm not waiting. When Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, I believe in the fullness of that commission. We're not waiting for God to validate, reiterate, or approve such a command in our lives before we go with this message. And Paul wasn't waiting either. Paul was on tour preaching his heart out, and he used every opportunity, every platform that God gave him, that God provided. Let's keep moving through this chapter. What we see next is from verse 12 to 17, we see yet another oppositional response to the gospel. Paul is persuading the people to worship God, verse 13. And so the response is the Jews bring Paul before Galileo, before Roman authority. And yet God's provision continues. Look at this. Galileo, rather, responds, settle it yourselves, verse 15. I'm not even interested. It's got nothing to do with me and Roman rule. And the Jews are so frustrated by this. Sadly, they're so frustrated with the result that they turn on one another. They beat up the synagogue leader. But what we're seeing here is that Paul, the action on Paul, the opposition on Paul wasn't taken any further. God continues to provide. And this is based on his promise that he'll protect him in this city. And so we come to the second half of this chapter where Paul, he continues on tour. He doesn't stop. Where Paul, and notice, he doesn't wait for a vision before he moves on. He might wait for a vision to stop and to stay, but he doesn't make, wait for a vision to move on. He knows the plan. He understands the shared goal, the common goal here, and the plan is to make disciples of all nations. He sails to Ephesus with his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, this incredible hospitable couple that remind me of Luke and Deb every time, who stay there. And their plan this time is to start a church, to be a part of a church there, and they use their home for that. But watch, look at Paul. He continues to use his platform to preach and to reason with the Jews, verse 19. And he does this, and he continues... As he does this, rather, he continues to trust and rely on God's will. Paul travels from place to place, preaching, greeting, strengthening disciples from region to region. And then we meet Apollos, the next addition to the band, so to speak. And you know what Apollos is like? He is like the talented guitar player that never learned how to read music. 
He's good, he's really good, but gosh, he could do with a little training. Look at what takes place. Apollos spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus, verse 25, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him over and explained to him a bit more about God. And it's amazing how it ends and where it leaves us. But Apollos is sent off then to Archaea, or at least he says, that's where I want to go. I want to go to Archaea. And they go, you know what? Sure. Which is, he's a great help to the church there. And just like Paul, he's busy using his gift to preach. And this time, he's equipped. He can read music. Look at how the chapter ends. He's proving from the scriptures this time that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. What a team. Hey? But what a God. And just like I shared about the role and the aspects that make it so important for a team to function at an optimum level. We see this throughout this whole chapter. The goal is clear. Priscilla, Aquila, Silas, Timothy and Apollos and Paul, they are all on for the same thing. Seeing this gospel go to all the nations, that's why he kept moving from region to region. And as conflict and opposition arose, God said it himself. Do not be afraid, because I will be with you. That's his promise. And as for autonomy, in the same way Priscilla and Aquila trained up and sent out Apollos to go preach from the scriptures, we see this autonomous approach to this team. They're not huddling together and trying to build a barricade and let the world be the world. Instead, they're going to it. And my encouragement for us today is let's be the same. Let's preach from the scriptures. Let's share with people in our lives the hope that we have. Let's be the church, a team, a family that uses what God has given us to testify to the wonderful hope we have in Jesus. And I just want to leave you with my favorite verse that Paul says a little later in Acts. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And now I'm going to invite someone up to pray for me. Not pray for me, pray for us. How about that? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the transforming power of your word. We pray that you will help each of us here to be gospel-minded and to take every opportunity to share the good news with those who do not yet know you. Help us to be bold in sharing the gospel, even when we are afraid or unsure of how it will be received, knowing that you are with us and working in the hearts of those who hear your word. We pray for the missionaries throughout the world who have dedicated their lives to spreading the gospel. Please help us to be generous in our support of them and to remember them in our prayers. Lord, we pray that our church will work as a team with a common aim to be a light for you in our community and that you will use each one of us here as laborers for your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen.